0: Turn with me to 1st Chronicles chapter 3 and verse 4. 1st Chronicles chapter 3 and verse 4. Have you ever been uh, disappointed uh, or just kind of disillusioned with life? I mean, there's a lot to be disillusioned about if you look around very much. Uh, We see um, in national life, we see uh, the increasing wickedness. Uh, We have seen uh, the failure of leaders, not just in political and national life, but also even in the church. Um, There is the disillusionment that people have, uh, oftentimes, with uh, their spiritual history. Maybe there's somebody in their family who's disappointed them, or uh, somebody who has... Uh, Left a negative impression upon their lives. And sometimes we're just flat out disillusioned by our own failure and inconsistencies as Christians. Um, All of these things were things that the people of Israel experienced in their national life. Um, And as they had gone into captivity, they had had the ultimate discipline brought by God uh, during this life. And uh, they've returned from captivity. And they they talk about how the elders, when they rebuilt the temple, began to weep. Because it was such a pale comparison to the splendor of Solomon's temple. And I mean, they were just like, where are we? (laughs) What's going on? We're disillusioned. It just doesn't seem like uh, things are the way they used to be. Uh, And so the chronicler is writing and God, through him, is writing to a discouraged, disillusioned group of people uh, to again remind them of some things that God has said, uh, some things that they need to consider in terms of being warned by about sin uh, and about some hope that they can have for the future that God has made some promises, and so. Uh, we need to put our hope in God in the times that we're disillusioned, and uh, and we are reminded of how to do that in the pages of God's Word. So uh, the title of my message is "Hope for the Disillusioned," uh, and we're going to talk about how God brings it. Rather than reading this whole scripture, which includes three chapters of genealogy, I'm just going to focus on the areas that I'm going to talk about, okay? And they're the areas that are emphasized to comfort these disillusioned people in the midst of all this history that he is repeating. All right, so hope for the disillusion. How does God bring it? He reminds you that Jesus is coming. Yes, I know that sounds familiar. Uh, but look, at, look at with me at verse 4. Uh, it says, six sons were born to David in Hebron. And if you look at uh, verse 5, these sons were born to him in Jerusalem, Shimea, Shobab, Nathan, and Solomon. Uh, and so those last two, Nathan and Solomon, are very important. Uh, what is the chronicler reminding them about? Well, he emphasizes David. If you, if you look at the things he includes in the, in the genealogies and how he arranges them, and the structure, which I don't have time to get into. It emphasizes the line of David above all the others in this history of God's people. And specifically, there is focus on the royal line of David. Because what did God do? God made promises to David. He said, your seed will sit... On the throne of Israel forever. Now, he gave some instruction about his line in general, uh, and in uh, 1 Samuel, uh, there's quite a bit about that. Uh, But in Chronicles, when he gives the covenant, which we haven't got to yet, but when he gives that covenant, uh, he focuses also upon this individual who will rule forever. Who is this mysterious individual? I'll give you a hint. His name starts with J. Jesus Christ is the individual he was anticipating. And through these two names here uh, in this obscure genealogy in the clean white pages, God lets us in on what is going to happen. This seed promised to David would come not just through Solomon, but would also come through Nathan. How is this? Well, um, we have the line of Solomon. You remember uh, Solomon ruled over the kingdom of Israel when it was united after David. It was united with Solomon as well. And then it was split up uh, after Solomon. Uh, and his line, uh, beginning with Rehoboam, uh, continues on down to a fellow named Jehoiakim who was a wicked king, and God cursed him and said, none of your descendants of your seed are going to sit on the throne of Israel. Uh, Now, some believe that God reversed that in the book of Haggai. I'm not one of those who believes that. But uh, this curse was on the line. So how is the line of David going to continue? Well, there's another son, and his name is Nathan. And Nathan's uh, descendants would actually end up going down the line to a man named Heli, uh, kind of the the form for Eli in the in the Old Testament. Heli, 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 apparently is the father of Mary, the Virgin Mary, of whom was born Jesus Christ. Now, um. There are those who will tell you that the book of Matthew has a genealogy, the book of Luke has a genealogy, and they're both the genealogy of Joseph. There are some people who believe that. I'm not one of them. Uh, Because Matthew's genealogy uh, speaks of Joseph's father, Jacob. Uh, And it goes back to David's descendant named Solomon right? His son named Solomon. If you go to Luke, it's really interesting in the Greek because most English translations have something like, uh, uh, the only time the word son appears in the genealogy in Luke is when it says, as Jesus was thought to be a son of Joseph. Now, and the word thought is a word that shows that people are uncertain, okay? So, is he Joseph's son? We're not really certain. And then it gives the article. It says, the one of Heli. And, and, and that's bad English probably. You'd be like, well, the one of Heli, what does that mean? Uh, but in Greek, they would understand this is a genealogy. And he's tracing the next line to, to Heli. Now, usually genealogies were given by uh, uh, according to the men of the family. So since Mary's a woman... It goes to her father, Heli. And it traces back, not to Solomon this time, but all the way back to Nathan, the son of David. So, isn't this interesting how God works this out? He's given a curse to to Jehoiakim. None of your seed will ever sit on the throne of Israel. Uh, So, Joseph is the descendant of Jehoiakim. But Jesus is not Joseph's son. Joseph adopts Jesus. Now, in those days, if you adopted somebody, they'd become your legal heir. Okay, So uh, Joseph adopts Jesus, so he becomes the legal heir, even though he's not the physical seed of Jehoiakim. And he can carry on the kingly line of Solomon as the adopted son of Joseph. But Luke's gospel tells us also that he is the son of David in his body. In his, because Mary, through her father, is a descendant of David. She's also a, des, a descendant of Levi through her mother, which we, we don't have time to get into all that. But that's really interesting, too. But I don't have time to get, get into that. Uh, so uh, Jesus, in his physical ancestry is a son of David. In his adoptive ancestry is a son of David. So the line of Solomon and the line of Nathan converge in only one individual of history whose name is Jesus Christ. So what, what is the chronicler saying? He's, saying? he's saying, listen, I know you're disillusioned but God's not finished with us yet. I know you're having a hard time But God's not finished with us yet. I know you've been disappointed. But God's not finished with us yet. I know you've failed God. But praise God. God's not finished with us yet. Jesus is coming. Now, he didn't say Jesus because at that time they didn't know who it was. But they knew the seed was coming. That seed, Jesus Christ. So today, God says to us, Jesus is coming. Now, it's not the first coming we're looking forward to. It's the second coming. Uh, It's the rapture of the church. And so uh, uh, God says to us, when we're disillusioned and when we're discouraged, he says, remember, this life is not all there is. Jesus is coming. In your failure, in your disappointment, in your disillusionment, remember that Jesus is coming. He's going to make all things right. One of these days, there'll be no more of this disappointment and disillusionment. So um, hope for the disillusioned, how does God bring it? Well, he reminds you that Jesus is coming. Secondly, hope for the disillusioned, he reminds you that you can pray. Turn with me to chapter 4, verse 9. Chapter 4 and verse 9. This is uh, the account of Judah and his, his descendants, uh, He's now away from the kingly line and is talking about others of Judah's descendants. And uh, there's this fellow named Jabez who shows up in verse nine. It says Jabez was more honored than his brothers. Uh, his mother named him Jabez, which literally means sorrow. And says, I gave birth to him in pain. Now, the word pain in Hebrew and the word jabez sound a lot alike. They're, two letters are switched around. But it sounds like, almost like reading poetry if you read the two of them together. Uh, so oftentimes in, in Hebrew uh, children's lives, that name was representative of something that was going to happen in their life or something that was going to be a characteristic of their life. And so... <laughs> His mom names him Sorrow because I gave birth to him in pain. So what's your future, son? Pain and sorrow. Okay? (laughs) Uh, How do you like that? Talk about encouraging. Uh, So what does Jabez do with this? He says, okay, they've named me Pain and Sorrow, and this is not what I want my life to consist of. Okay? So what am I going to do? I'm going to pray. Look at what he says in verse 10. Jabez calls out to the God of Israel, If only you would bless me. Extend my border. Let your hand be with me and keep me from harm so that I will not experience pain. And God granted his request. Have somebody given you a bad name? <laughs> has, 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 have you been disappointed? Or have you been disillusioned by your family situation? Um, have you been disillusioned by the things of life? Listen, you're not helpless uh, as a victim in life, you can call upon the name of the Lord. You can lift up your problems and your difficulties and your heartaches to the Lord, and God can intervene in your circumstance. What an amazing thing that God answers prayer. You say, well, I thought God allows us to, to experience some pain and some, some trials. Yes, He does. But that doesn't mean we can't call upon His name. Uh, I can remember when I was uh, r- raising my kids that usually Sherry would take them to get shots, and God bless her. Uh, and uh, But this particular time, she was traveling somewhere, and so it fell to me. me. Megan had to have her blood taken regularly. And I think Megan was probably about two and um, you know wasn't really at the age where she understood what was going on. She just saw the white coat, and that was enough. But uh, the nurse said, I'm going to have to have you... Hold her down so that I can get her blood. And so here I am, holding her in my lap, and you know she's she's seen those white coats before, and uh, and she turns her head up and looks at me like with this look of how could you do this to me? This look of utter betrayal. Oh, what have you done? But what was I doing she her request if she could have voiced it in her in her two-year-old mind would have been dad stop it but I was doing it for her good so the pain that she was experiencing was so that she could have the right amount of medication to help her develop and become the person she needed to be Uh, so uh, God does allow it, but but could she have called upon me if she have said, "Daddy, will you hug me?" You think I would have hugged her? Absolutely, I would have. Dad, would you comfort me? Yes. Dad, would you help me through this? Yes. Would you get me ice cream afterwards? Yes. Okay. Uh, so she could still call on me, even though the specific request, in some cases, uh, was not granted. But but in Jabez's case. God grants his request, and the whole course of his life is changed by a simple prayer. What could God change in your life if you just call upon his name? What did Jesus say? You have not because you ask not. Listen, I I believe it's a whole lot better to be like that pesky kid that keeps asking you for stuff than to be like the person who never asks. Well, I don't want to ask God that. I mean, God, God's got better things to to be concerned about than my problems. You think your problems challenge God? <laughs> Do you think God? Oh, boy, I don't know if I can handle Roger's problems. I, you know, hey, I, I got bigger fish to fry. Roger, go talk to somebody else. You know, uh, uh, no, God uh, delights in the prayers of His children. He loves it. And he is eager to answer, and will do so if he knows it's in our best interest and the interest of the kingdom. So you can pray in the midst of disappointment, in the midst of disillusionment. uh, When you don't understand, I've prayed those prayers before. Lord, I don't have a clue what's going on in my life right now, and I don't know the whys of it, and I'm kind of frustrated, and I'll tell God those burdens. And uh, it's wonderful to be able to take those things to somebody who completely understands your situation uh, and who is able to do something about it. Um, There's a verse hanging in the men's bathroom here that says, God has made my way perfect. Do you believe that? Do you believe that God knows the plans He has for you? Do you believe that God... uh, has an idea of, of his of his process for you and that he knows exactly what you need. In those times when we're confused and we're disillusioned, we can take those things to God in prayer and he delights to answer and to help us in the midst of it. So um, <clears throat> how can we have hope and disillusionment? He reminds you uh, that Jesus is coming that you can pray. thirdly that God, Could use you look at look at chapter five. Flip over another chapter if you would. Chapter five, verse one. These were the sons of Reuben, the firstborn of Israel. He was the firstborn, but his birthright was given to the sons of Joseph, son of Israel, because Reuben had defiled his father's bed. He is not listed in the genealogy according to his birthright. Although Judah became strong among his brothers and a ruler came from him, that is Jesus. Ultimately, the birthright was given. To Joseph. Now, this is an interesting uh, account here. Talk about disappointment. Here you have the patriarch, one of the patriarchs, Jacob, later whose name was he who wrestles with God or he who strives with God, Israel. Okay? Uh, His oldest son sleeps with his concubine incest in the family of the patriarch. Would that cause somebody to be disappointed? Probably. Would that cause somebody to be disillusioned? Probably. But it's interesting what this this chapter tells us. God, though he disciplined Reuben, he still kept him as a part of the people of God, but he gave the right of his birthright to Joseph. Joseph had two sons, and you remember the story. Uh, Jacob comes to to bless Joseph, and uh, Joseph uh, is, you know, uh, he, he, Jacob's about to go be with the Lord, and uh, he says, he says, my my blessing for you is going to be on your two sons, and your two sons are each going to be a tribe in Israel. I'm giving you a double blessing. and uh, And he prays over the two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh the two sons of Joseph, and sets them apart as the double portion that was supposed to go to Reuben. And because Deuteronomy says the firstborn receives a double portion, a double portion uh, of the inheritance so that uh, they can care for the family and be the leader in the family. So this double portion uh, instead here is a spiritual blessing that goes to Joseph. And two of Joseph's sons become tribes rather than the one tribe of Joseph. Ephraim and Manasseh. God uses someone else when the disappointment comes. What what about you? Uh, Could God use you? Sometimes we focus on the disappointment. We focus on the disillusionment. Oh, can you believe? Have you heard what happened? Have you heard how so-and-so blew it? How so-and-so had a moral failure? Uh, have you heard about it? And we get discouraged and we get disillusioned and we wonder why. But could you be the answer? You remember um, the story of Eli? Eli and Hophni and Phinehas were priests in Israel and uh, um the country had gone down a very wicked path, and there was this this woman named Hannah who couldn't have children, and she began. She was she was very frustrated. She in that day of of more than one wife, there's all kinds of problems <laughs> that come along with that. They uh, that wasn't God's original intention, but that was the culture of that day. Um, but uh, her uh, rival wife was giving her constant trouble and grief over it. So uh, she wouldn't even eat. And so she finally goes and she pours out her heart to God. Again, we can call upon the Lord, right, in these troubles. She calls out upon the Lord. And there's plenty of reason to be uh, disillusioned in Israel at this time. Samuel's probably the first righteous judge they've had uh, since uh, those early first two or three that they had. Um, and, uh, but but the, the, the priesthood is wicked. Uh, the sons of Eli are sleeping with women in the, in the courtyard of the uh, tabernacle. talk about, It's like Jerry Springer in Israel. I mean, it really was. And uh, all kinds of disillusionment. And, and you've got the layman arguing with the priests. Hey, this, this sacrifice is supposed to be done this way to honor God. No, we're not going to do it. If you don't give it to us, we're going to take it by force. And that's the way, that's the way they were doing things. And so, uh, into this situation, Hannah calls upon God, and God sends her a son by the name of Samuel. And Samuel goes to serve at the temple. So, you've got all this disillusionment and corruption and wickedness and all of these things happening, and God sends his choice to set things right. Could you be that person? Well, Uh, All all those politicians, they're all crooked, they're all corrupt. What if God would call you to serve in national life to make a difference? Well, those preachers, all they care about is money. Have you ever heard that one? Uh, Or uh, all these preachers are not preaching the truth. What if God could use you to preach his word? Well, people, don't, they don't have honor. They're not honest anymore. What if God could use you to shine your light and be that honest person that these young people could look up to and be someone that they could emulate? What God could use you to be the answer. So sometimes we're looking at the disillusionment, we're looking at the disappointment, and God says, hey, I've got another plan. Would you join me in my plan? This is one way that he helps us with our disillusionment. Can I, set, can I tell you, if God is for us, who can be against us? If God brought Israel back from the time of the judges and from the time of the captivity, he can bring us back in this country if we'll let him do it. So, how does God bring hope and disillusionment? He reminds you that Jesus is coming. He reminds you that you can pray. He reminds you that God could use you. Uh, next, he reminds you that the battle is his. The battle is his. Uh, if you go to verse 18 of chapter 5, it uh, talks about the descendants of Reuben, Gad, and the half tribe of Manasseh that lived across the Jordan River from the, the promised land proper um, in that Transjordan region. Um, these were, were great warriors. I mean, yeah, he talks about how skilled they were, how. How, uh, how great they were as warriors. Uh, but verse 20 tells us they received help against these enemies because they cried out to God in battle. And the Hagrites and all their allies were handed over to them. He was receptive to their prayer because they trusted in him. Uh, and he talk, talks about the spoils. Look at verse 22. Many of the Hagrites were killed because it was God's battle. It was God's battle. Now they're very skilled warriors but they cry out to God in battle. Listen, I don't care how gifted you are, you still need God. Call out to God in the struggle that you're facing and trust Him in the middle of it. And what you'll find is that the battle is God's. Someone else may be more uh, powerful than you. Someone else may have more wisdom than you. Uh, they may be better organized, and they may have a better idea of what to do. But if God is with you, they cannot stand against you. The battle is God. Sometimes we forget that in, 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 our, in our situations, in our families. Listen, there are times you take a stand. I, I recognize that. We take a stand for the truths of God's Word and, and uh, contend for the faith and so forth. Uh, there are times you, t- you stand for what's right because it's what's right. But oftentimes we can, can feel like the weight of the struggle is on our shoulders and we forget that we're just an instrument. The battle belongs to the Lord. So we call upon Him and, and we trust in Him and He enters into the situation. Does that provide hope and disillusionment? Absolutely. What's the, what's the chronicler saying? What is God saying to these people who are disillusionment? Can God ever use us again? Well, try him out. Call upon his name. Trust in him. He's the same God. He'll do the same thing he did back there for them, for us today. If we call on his name. He reminds us that the battle is his. Um, there's a, a, a prayer. Uh, I'm trying to think of the name of it and it's not coming to mind. Uh, but it talks about uh, the fact that uh, uh, we are limited in what we can do. Sometimes we forget that, don't we? Did you know you have limited resources in your emotions? You've got limited strength. You've got limited time. Uh, you've got limited wisdom. There are things you know about. There are things you don't know about. But God is unlimited in His power, in His wisdom, and all these things. And we can call upon Him his name. So the battle is his. He reminds us the battle is his. So when we're disillusioned, when we're discouraged, he reminds you that Jesus is coming. He reminds you that you can pray. He reminds you that God could use you to be a part of the solution. He reminds you that the battle is his. And finally, he reminds you that sin is a robber. He not only shares the victories of these Uh, tribes that lived across the Jordan River from the promised land uh, proper. He shares their defeat. If you look on down in uh, verse 24, it's describing these heads of ancestral families. It says, they were valiant warriors, famous men, and heads of their ancestral houses. But they were unfaithful to the God of their ancestors. They prostituted themselves with the gods of the nations God had destroyed before them. So the God of Israel roused the spirit of King Paul, that is Tiglath-Pileser of Assyria. And he took the Reubenites, Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh into exile. He took them to Hala, Hera, uh, ha- and Gozin's River where they are until today. Sin is a robber. What had God given them? He given them the the land across the, the Jordan River was a lush land. It was good for cattle. Uh, it, it, it was a very uh, prosperous land because the crops that were grown there uh, grew very well. Uh, God had given them this this great situation. These were were people that uh, had a lot going for them. They were uh, the the Hebrew word is heil. It, it's a word that that means you uh, you have great. Uh, strength, that you have great prosperity, uh, that the hand of favor is with you, and all these things. Uh, but but now they have prostituted themselves, and they've turned away from God, and they've forgotten God, and they've turned to sin, and they've turned to idolatry. And God himself stirs up an enemy king to come against them. Uh, sin is a robber. Now, how do you how do you encourage the disillusioned, the discouraged? Well, you remind them why they're disillusioned and discouraged in the first place. What's the problem? The problem is sin. Listen, I'm going to tell you, not, not much has changed over all these thousands of years. Sin is still the problem. Sin's the problem in our national life. Sin's the problem in our families. Sin's the problem in your life and in my life. Uh, sin is the problem. And it robs us of God's best. The Apostle Paul, that great uh, apostle, uh, probably my favorite out of the apostles. Uh, he he goes and uh, is talking about his struggle with sin in Romans seven. He says, "The things I want to do, I don't do; the things I don't want to do, I do." Was me? He will deliver me from the body of death. Thanks be to God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And then he talks in chapter 8 about the fact that through the Spirit, God can put to death that old nature and help us walk in victory. You see, you and I have the ability and the power of the Holy Spirit who lives within us to overcome sin. None of us do it perfectly. One day we'll be delivered from that old nature forever. Hallelujah. Uh, In the meantime we can learn how to walk in victory and in the filling of the Holy Spirit. And as we do, there's hope. Listen, I may have failed God yesterday, but like we talked about this morning, that sin's under the blood. I confess it. God forgives it. He's faithful and just to forgive it. And then I can be cleansed from all unrighteousness. I can go forward and I can look to to, uh, tomorrow and I can say, Lord, fill me with your Spirit And help me to walk in that feeling of that Holy Spirit. Uh, But we also need to take the warning seriously. Because it is true. uh, You know, you look at David, who is one of the main uh, characters in this book. And you find that David, who is a man after God's own heart, ends up miserably failing. Uh, He... He doesn't go out with the men to battle like he's supposed to. He's being lazy. He's hanging around the the palace and sees this woman bathing, and he uh, has an adulterous relationship with her. She becomes pregnant. He sends to get her husband so that he can come spend a night with her so that people will think it's his child rather than David's. But he has more honor than David does. And he says, well... uh, my Lord Joab is out in the field fighting. All the, the king's men are out in the field fighting. How can I go to my house and eat and with my wife and sleep with my wife uh, when, when God's servants are out in the field fighting the battles of God? How convicting must that have been for David? So David sends a letter with him, put him in the front part of the battle so that, he, so that he's killed. And, and, of course, God disciplines David. Later on, his life is evaluated. says says that David uh, w- followed the Lord and loved the Lord and served the Lord with all his heart except for the matter of uh, uh, Uriah the Hittite. Uh, that was Bathsheba's husband. And so... Uh, You know, uh, David fails, and this failure impacts his family. It impacts the nation. Uh, The prophet Nathan tells David, the sword will never depart out of your house. Now, God knew David was accountable to no one except God. And so God knew he needed a penalty that would keep him in line. And God knew how to keep him in line. Um, And so he said, the sword's never going to depart from your house. For the rest of David's life... uh, his family would never be the same. Constant problems in his family. Uh, so sin caused the enemies of God to blaspheme. It, it, it altered David's life. Did God forgive him? Yes. Uh, did God give him a future? Yes. But sin was a robber in his life. And sin was definitely a robber for Israel. A robber for the half-tribe of Manasseh and the Gad and, and Reuben. uh, Sin was a robber. Sin uh, caused them to lose what God meant for them to have God's best. So be warned by sin and have a little bit of fear. That's a good thing occasionally. Recognize that our sin can take us down a path that can literally wreak havoc, not only in our lives, but in our families. In this church, um, we need to take it seriously. But don't allow, there's balance with that, right? Don't allow yourself to focus on your failure. Once you confess that and you repent of that, learn from it. If there's some things to learn, learn from it. But then shift your attention forward. Because it's under the blood and and move on. And, uh, and, and pursue that spirit-filled life that you and I can live in God's strength. Uh, so, <clears throat> uh, hope for the disillusioned. Uh, if you've ever been disillusioned, God's reminding you today uh, that Jesus is coming. Hallelujah. <laughs> One day the struggle will be over, right? Uh, God's reminding you that you can pray. That God could use you that the battle is his, and that sin is a robber. Let's hear that message of encouragement and lift up our heads. Our God is with us. The future will be okay because he walks with us through it, uh, and we can glorify his name. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Father, help us as your people to listen to these encouragements that you've given us and to the warning. And, Father, to take these things to heart. And in the midst of all that's going on around us, Lord, uh, rather than focusing on the disillusionment and the discouragement, Father, to focus on what you could do and how you could answer prayer and how you could use us and, and how we could overcome sin through the power of your Spirit. And, Father, I pray that we will walk in victory and that we will be a light in a dark place. And, Father, that people will see Jesus in us. And I pray, God, that the people of this church uh, would be known in this community as people that are different, people that are righteous and holy. And, Father, that even though some may be angry about that or oppose it, but that they, they will have to give a grudging respect because the, the character of Christ will be seen in the people of this church. Lord, let, us be, let it be so, and let us... Uh, Speak your message with boldness with people that desperately need to hear it. Let us be uh, salt and light and make a difference in this community around us.